When it comes to EVE Online, every player wants to know the most effective tactic available. You want to know the meta. The meta controls everything. It determines what will and will not happen. Knowing the meta will alter your views, make you question your reality. It might even make you laugh. And now, you're part of it. You're watching The Meta Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Meta Show. Today is not Saturday, November the 11th. It is Sunday, November the 12th. It's around 9.30 in the morning. And you're going to notice something different about today's episode. Well, let me give you a little background before we get into it. First of all, we were supposed to do the Meta Show yesterday. I was going to take the day off because I've been allowing Mark to have a little bit more control over the show, let him do his wormhole thing, let him bring on some low seckers. He was even going to bring Phantomite on, which was going to be interesting, let's just say. But unfortunately, his parents had some car trouble and he had to take off the show and we weren't able to do one. So the result was we were going to miss an episode. Now, normally, that's not a big deal. We've missed episodes before. And if you are in Karma Fleet or you have been in comms with me over the last, I would say, two months or so, you've heard me talk a lot about the show and where I feel like we are going because we're coming up on our ninth year doing the Meta Show, and this will be my fifth year as the host. So let me put this in perspective. November is a very important month in Meta Show history. The first episode aired November of 2014. The first YouTube video up that you can go back and watch with Matani and Nistrik, the original hosts, was November 20th, 2014. It is now 2023. We've had a number of hosts over the years in that nine-year period when the show's been on the air. The first two hosts, Batani and Nistrik, as I said, that was from 2014 to 2015. Then Lazarus Tellraven joined the show with Mittens 2015 to 2016. And then we moved into the Big Red Boat era, which was 2016 to 2019. That was the longest period that anybody had done the show straight until me. I joined November 10th, 2019. And I have been doing the show ever since. And then Matani left in 2022 and Mark Resurrectus joined us in 2023. So I'm the longest running host by my, uh, that's not Mittens on the show right now. Mittens went from 2014 to 2022. That is eight years. And I have done four and I'm starting my fifth. One of the things that I've always said about the show is we, we want to, keep it fresh. We don't want it to be the same thing over and over again. And we've seen the numbers on the live show go up and down. We've seen the numbers on the YouTube videos stay pretty consistent. 
And we've seen the numbers on the podcast stay pretty consistent. But what we, one of the things we've never done before, we've never done a just straight up podcast show. No cameras, no guests, just me, maybe Mark next time. And we're not doing it live. We're just going to talk today for an hour about all the stuff going on in EVE Online. And it's going to be focused for our listeners who enjoy listening to the podcast, watching the YouTube videos. There's a little bit of a background. I've got some stuff going on, so there's some visuals. But no no me on the camera, no, no, no live show, no chat. Just straight up talking for the next hour about EVE Online. We've never done this before. This may flop, it may crash and burn, it may be the worst thing anybody's ever heard, and maybe we'll never do it again. But in the meantime, I feel like this is the kind of thing that keeps the show fresh. And since this is the start of our soon-to-be fifth season, I wanted to change it up a little bit. So that's what we're doing. So welcome to the first ever Meta Show podcast edition. I'm glad you guys could join us. We're going to have a lot of fun today because we've got some news. We've got news. We've got a new expansion that is launching on Tuesday, November the 14th, the Havoc expansion. We're going to talk about the patch notes that are coming through about Havoc. And we've got a little bit of news. So we're going to go straight into, we're going to start with the NullSec Power Hour, and then we're going to move into our top story, which is the Havoc expansion, and then anything else I feel like talking about. But first, NullSec Power Hour. As you all saw, the war in the North is over. What does that mean? Well, I don't even know. It's, it's funny because I have been critical of the war in the North. And I've looked at it from not only from a goon perspective, but also just from my personal perspective. And my personal perspective has been, this has been a boring-ass war. There was not a lot of content in U.S. time zone. There was not a lot of content outside of the hell dunk or blue balls philosophy that we have seen from Horde and Fraternity. Now, I talked to Securitas Protector from Horde, and he was very critical of our coverage of the war in the North. His biggest issue was, we've had lots of fights, we've had lots of fun, I don't know where you guys have been, we've had 100 billion, 200 billion plus isk battles every week. And it's been great. And then we had the biggest Dread Brawl in history, which it's amazing to me that the Dread Brawl that they're talking about was a three or four trillion-esque fight. It was over two months ago now at this point. But you would have thought this was the greatest event in the history of Pandemic Horde because the members of Horde and them cannot stop talking about it. They won't stop talking about it. It's a constant refrain with them. And for me, being a veteran of battles like X-47, and M2, and FWST, a $3 trillion of Dread Brawl over nothing that has no strategic implications. That was just a, all right, well, there goes in its <laughs> dreadnought cash. That to me was not that exciting, but, and maybe it would have been different. Maybe it would have been different if we were on the winning side of this, although we didn't lose that, that bad. The numbers were not crazy off. In the end, when you're talking about a Dread Brawl, you expect all those ships to die anyway. They're Dreads. They're supposed to be disposable. But for me, it just wasn't that big a fight, but they can't stop bringing it up. But back to my original point, Securitas was was firmly in the opinion that I was full of shit and that 
This was a great war. The Horde being Foreign Legion SIG was loving it. Fraternity was loving it. But from an outsider's perspective, and I feel like I was pretty much of an outsider because, again, we had not, I had not been on a strategic fleet in months. Because every time we would do a jump clone from Delve to DO6 to get ready to fight, the result was these guys would stand down every single time. And after a while, you stop responding to those fleets, which I think is part of their strategy. They wanted us to get complacent, us to get bored, and they would expect that we would simply not show up anymore, which I think to a certain extent started to happen. Goon numbers were down, getting into fleets, and it numbers were down, getting into fleets. But in it, I think, took the brunt of a lot of that stuff up north because Shines and, and the boys kept forming, which was good for them. And of course, the B2 guys were forced to constantly form. They had to defend everything. They couldn't afford to take a night off or a break because if they did, then all of a sudden you'd see fraternity and, and BFL making inroads, and that would not have been good. And that lasted for 18 months. Finally, last week, as we noted on the show, when we had Starfleet Commander of Volta, we had Jinx care of Brave, and we had Asher from Goonswarm on the show, they couldn't take it anymore. It was over. It's done. Fraternity, congratulations. You have won your epic victory. Your massive alliance of 30,000 plus characters was successful in beating up an alliance a third of your size. And for me, I would think that this would be kind of one of those things where you're a little bit embarrassed about the victory. Because this wasn't some epic, epic fight like Vietnam, where you had the entire rest of the game fighting against Goonswarm and the rest of the Imperium, which was two-thirds of the game against one-third. It lasted... Slight, I guess it wasn't as long as the war in the North. More than a year, a year and a couple months. Saw more than a million dollars cash value of assets in the game destroyed. Trillions and trillions and trillions, like hundreds of trillions of ISK lost and destroyed on each side. That was a war. You know, it spawned songs, it spawned propaganda, all kinds of stuff. There was almost no propaganda out of this war. It was boring. Fraternity doesn't really do it. Horde is really bad at it. And the result was, and Brave and those guys usually are pretty good, but they just, it just kind of never materialized because the war was boring. Regardless of what the Horde guys say, and maybe they like, you know, it seems to me pretty much it's clear their favorite kind of thing is dunking on a fleet that has zero chance of winning and the result being that they only take fights that they can 100% win. And that, that seemed to have been, at least to me, the flavor of this war. And hey, more power to them. If that's how they want to play the game, I'm not going to criticize. I may tease them about it. And I know it's, it, you're going to laugh and say, oh, Brisk, you're being hypocritical. You just criticized them for 10 minutes and now you're saying you're not going to criticize I'm not really criticizing. I'm simply pointing out reality. And that is, for me, and I can't speak for anyone but myself, I'm just a line member, sort of, this was a boring war. It just did not have the type of gravitas that would have caught my attention and kept it for 18 months. And so the result was, 
instead of it ending with a bang, with a big fight, and then a fail scade, which is pretty common when wars end in EVE Online. It simply ended with a whimper, and we see B2 essentially falling apart, many constituent groups of it joining the Imperium, and Fraternity is going to start moving in, I assume, and taking all of the space in Declan and Pure Blind that had been held originally by Blob and Volta and Brave. Now, this has not stopped the victory laps from the Winterco people. Winterco being Fraternity and its renters. Since that's really all that's left in, in Winterco, Winterco is just Fraternity, really. There's not a, a whole bunch of other groups besides Fraternity in the coalition, which is why we tend to not even call it Winterco. We call them Pandafam and throw them in with Horde and Pandemic Legion and NC Dot because that seems to be the power move in that area of space. But that did not stop Winterco from what I would consider to be one of the most amusing and long-winded victory hype pings I have ever seen. And I'll read it for you. Merkel Chen was reading this to the Karma Fleet folks last night, and it was pretty amusing. But here's what they're saying. This is Winterco bragging about the war. And I quote, Today was the beginning of closing the chapter on the war for Volta's soul. After nearly 18 months, the coalition they built to take a stab at being a null-sec powerhouse is now firmly in the bin. Along with their staging Keepstar, their dignity, and their self-respect. Along the way, we started the biggest dreadnought fight in the last 20 years. We went toe-to-toe with one of the biggest coalitions to ever exist in the game. And in the long run, we came out ahead every time that it mattered most. Take a moment to reflect on the time and effort each of you personally has put into the war over the last 18 months. On behalf of all Winter Coalition's leadership, I want to thank each and every one of you for your commitment and trust. This isn't the first war many of us have fought in, nor will it be the last for most of us. These moments are few and far between, usually years apart. They don't come often. Take a moment to enjoy it. Now let's unpack this, because, I mean, think about it this way. All right, first of all, one. Beginning the closing chapter on the war for Volta's soul. It always has always struck me, like Fraternity has treated this like Volta was some kind of big, bad enemy that they had to worry about. And it's just absurd to me that that's even a narrative, given the massive size disparity between Volta and Fraternity. I mean, looking at it from a purely member perspective, Fraternity is now the third largest group in the game. According to Dotland, they have 32,933 characters, members, if you will, in their alliance. 32,933, almost 33,000 members. They are the one of the largest sob holding alliances 
in the game. They are the fourth largest Saab holding alliance, the 163 systems, and they are the second largest in terms of member corporations. They have 179. Now let's put this in perspective. Where is Volta? Where is Volta on this list? They're almost non-existent comparatively. Volta is the 57th largest alliance by membership, according to Dotland. They have a whopping 492 characters, almost 500 characters. They own 33 systems, and they have four member corporations. 34,000 versus 500. 163 systems versus 33. And they're bragging about beating up on Volta. Now, even if you include Brave Collective, which is the sixth largest group in the game, 7,057 member groups, 81 corps, I shouldn't say member groups, members, 25 systems held. Okay, that's brave. They're the largest of the B2 coalition. You throw in We Form Blob, they own 74 systems and 2,161 members. So we're talking a group that all told B2 as a coalition combined had maybe 10,000 characters versus Fraternity, 33,000 characters, and the bulk of Pandemic Horde, the second largest group in the game. And the only reason they're the second largest group right now as of today, November 12th, 2023, is because B2 fell apart and the Imperium grabbed a number of groups like Severance, including some that joined Goonswarm proper and boosted our numbers up. We were number two until the war ended, and now we're back number one as the largest corporation, the largest alliance in the game. They're bragging about beating up a little guy. It's amazing to me. Like, this kind of a hype ping, take a moment to enjoy that you just beat up a toddler, is essentially what they're saying. And I just have to laugh about it. It's just funny to me. But that's the reality. This is what they did. I, I, I guess maybe if you're a member of fraternity and you remember getting your stool pushed in by Test Alliance, please ignore, which frankly is embarrassing more than anything, that you were on the losing end of the last great war of Vietnam where you joined in half-heartedly against the Imperium and lost a bunch of keep stars and had not much to show for it. I guess now the fact that you were able to punch down and beat a coalition a third your size, at least a third your size, probably closer to a fourth of your size, the absolute 100% incontestable advantage of huge numbers in a time zone where everyone else in the game can't put the numbers up. I mean, I guess, yeah, you want to brag about that. Yeah, yeah, great, great job, guys. But was it really? And in the event, what happens now? Well, I think a lot of people are concerned that the main thing that's going to happen is we're back into a bipolar strategic universe here in New Eden. Now, this is not the first time that we've seen that. A lot of people complain, oh, no, now it's just Imperium versus Pandafam. It's just the two groups. We're going to turn into Serenity. The server is going to be horrible. This is going to be the worst thing ever. I can't believe we've ever we've never had it like this before. We've had this before. When Bob ran the show, and it was Bob and and Northern Coalition, and that was it, 
or Bob versus Maskey, uh, Senate Frontier, or or any of those time periods back in the day, you may have had a couple of small alliances, and there are plenty of small unaligned alliances. A lot of the folks in the Southeast Agreement in it is not in the Imperium anymore. They're Imperium adjacent, sure, but they're not in the Imperium. They're not taking orders from Asher. Not like Horde and, and Pandafam are taking orders from their house and, and Gobbins. But the bottom line is, as I've noted, we have had this type of situation before. We've been in bipolar eras where there were two major blocks. It wasn't the end of the game. It wasn't the creation of serenity on tranquility. It wasn't any of that nonsense. So I don't, I'm not too concerned about the fact that B2 is dead, other than the fact that the war kind of sucked and I didn't have a lot of fun in it. And it's not because we lost, because I really don't consider us to have been that involved. Goons came up north. We were more third-partying than anything else. We helped B2, but they were not part of our group. I never felt the kind of kinship with Brave and those guys that I did with the other members of the Imperium during Vietnam. There was none of that shared we're in the trenches together feeling. And now that Brave is part of the Imperium, I'm looking forward to some of that forming, but it never was never was the case before. So as far as I'm concerned, this was a, a fizzle of a war. I think many of you would agree with me. Obviously, those of you in Horde would not. You seem to like it. And that's fine. Beating up on kids, beating up smaller kids on the playground, I guess that that's fun for you. That's fine. I understand. Going toe-to-toe against a similar threat. You did that. Or at least you tried. And it didn't work out for you. So I can understand the hesitation to want to come back and fight us again. But those out there who are taking a lot of pride in this war, I really think you need to take a step back and see exactly what it is that you really did. All right, enough about that. There were a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about NullSec-wise before we get to the Havoc expansion notes, which I think will take up the bulk of the rest of the podcast. The first of all, <laughs> I had to laugh. The Southeast Agreement. We're seeing a lot of fighting in the Southeast Agreement area, which includes space, obviously, in the Southeast of Eve. It was put together last year by Enet Goons, Pandemic Horde, Fraternity, and the other large blocks. And it was essentially an agreement that would allow that it would allow the, the Southeast of Eve to be sov not controlled by the big groups. It was designed to be open and allowed to be an area where small and medium-sized alliances could thrive. And as far as I can tell, that has been the case. But there was some complaining this week by literally triggered one of the groups that controls area in Immensia. And it was really funny because they cast this as an attack on CSM 18 member Amelia Dusk space. Now, this is funny to me. I, I just am amused by this. I've seen CSM members attacked for a variety of reasons, including myself, often myself, because I was probably the most visible CSM member that we had while I was serving because I made it my point to go out and talk to people and, and be present. But this complaint about Amelia is essentially, as far as I can tell, the complaint is, oh my God, Amelia's playing the game. 
So the post was put up on Reddit. It's called Meet Your New Local CSM Member. And it was put up by Gila, who is the Alliance Executive for Literally Triggered. And he writes, and much of this just assume that it's sarcastic. And I'll read it in full, and then we can go into it a little bit. Quote, while in my opinion, the SEA agreement was a great idea for our beloved sandbox, generating a lot of content and helping bring, helping bringing new faces, sick, to the NullSec environment without the involvement of null blocks. Freshly elected CSM Amelia brought even more great ideas. Thanks to his small gang and with the help Jutsu small gang with their liberation fleets of 80 high-grade Nirvana battleships, and 40-plus Navy dreads, just go with me. I don't, I don't know if he's a native English speaker, but this is kind of badly written. He succeeded in liberating the South from its current residents, and he links to a war report that shows nearly a trillion-esque killed by Death to All Snowflakes, Amelia's group, along with their friends, versus about 350 billion-esque killed by literally, literally triggered and their allies, from the 7th of September through November 7th of this year. And he says, now he can make a lot of great improvements as we expect for a CSM member by building a revolutionary rental program available today for the EVE community. And he links to a Discord post where Amelia says, we offered $250 billion one time offer to leave you guys alone where we wouldn't hit structures anymore. If you're interested, if in a more permanent solution, we could come to that. Something on the order of $30 billion a month for a constellation. Depends on how much space you want, etc. That sounds to me like a pretty standard rental agreement slash extortion racket. Welcome to Eve. Then he then Hila goes on saying, Sadly, this portion of debtorate is not covered by this program, but feel free to reach out to Amelia, maybe for the right price. Who knows? And he links to a bunch of, of space in, in Deterid that is not owned by Literally Triggered. I don't get it. Anyway, get your wallets ready and make sure to keep 30% extra if interested in moons. It's a shame I didn't vote for Amelia this year, but since he flies with great input broadcasters and ex-great botting lords, wink, wink, skill you, he is definitely... Completely misspelled, definitely, by the way. Getting my vote next year. Cheers, Gila, future liberated SEA Alliance exec. Now, I don't understand what the point of referencing Amelia being on the CSM has anything to do with, like, what's the point of referencing Amelia being on the CSM here? So what? He's still a player. Is he not allowed to to gank? Is he not allowed to scam? Is he not allowed to engage in the type of shenanigans we would expect an Eve player to get into. Of course he is. He can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. So the whole idea that like you're, you're calling the dude out because he had the audacity to play the game and beat you and then want to milk you for money on the way out the door. That's Eve. This is straight up Eve. So (laughs) listen, I am not, coming to Amelia's defense here because I like the guy. I don't really like him. He's been a dick to me for no reason because I barely know him. I'm not a huge fan of the small gang community, but I will say this. 
He didn't do anything wrong here. He's playing the game. So giving him a hard time as a CSM member because he's playing the game seems kind of dumb. Let's just not do that. And it was sad to the point that, like, CCP Swift had to come into the thread and say, hey there, I just want to point out that all members of CSM 18 have been exemplary so far. While we have had a slower start than I would have liked, that's entirely my fault. The CSM do have some restrictions, such as acting on any privileged information that they gain from their meetings. But when it comes to gameplay, they are allowed to, among other things, PvP, take space, and evict alliances. The fact that, that Swift had to come in and basically say what Amelia's doing here is okay, that's just sad. <laughs> it's just sad. We should be applauding the fact that we have a CSM member that's actually playing the game and playing it in NullSec. And taking advantage of the Southeast Agreement. I love that. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna give him a hard time for that. I give him a hard time for other things. But for this, good on you, Amelia. Keep playing the game. That's it. Now, in addition to the to this this whole thing with literally triggered, we found out, or at least there was another thread on Reddit talking about how literally triggered is literally triggered which is funny because that's i mean that's a standard joke you're going to make you you call your group literally triggered people are going to say well look at them they're literally triggered get it it's cute i i think it's funny in any event the post says so after this post here which we're referring to the to the amelia post and seeing how much literally triggered is crying about being bested by a medium-sized alliance any groups want to head down to amencia and milk some more tears Looks like after getting beat up over and over, they have turned against We the Foundation. If you look at the MNCM map, literally triggers like literally sitting next to this We the Foundation group. We the Foundation, who was kind enough to form with them when called on so they could punch down and feel better about themselves. I'm sure those guys would love some support and give any docking access to land you right on their front door. And to make things even more hilarious, it looks like they are hiring out Merc groups to do the fighting for them after not being able to take fights against We the Foundation themselves. Literally triggered could not be more cringe at this point, although the only thing more cringe than, than this post was that last sentence calling it cringe. Man, I hate that word. In any event, this is funny to me. It's funny to me because after all of the complaints and the, and the, and the talk about the Southeast Agreement and some groups saying it's great and some groups saying it sucks and some groups saying this is wonderful and we love it. And some groups saying, no, this is horrible. Why are, why are we having to be allowed to, to live? Why are, why, are we, why are we having to be given permission to exist by the big groups? I look at posts like this and I say, guess what? This is exactly what we wanted. This is exactly the type of thing that the Southeast Agreement was designed to create. Middle, small-sized alliances having a good time, fighting things out. That's what I wanted to see. So I'm pleased with the Southeast Agreement. I understand that not everybody is, and there's a potential that it may not be renewed. I think that would be a bad thing. I would, I would think that would be a bad thing for New Eden, having that area full of small and medium-sized alliances that are building themselves up, having their own content, creating their own stories, outside of the bipolar Imperium versus PandaFam Matrix, I think is great, and I would like to see that continue. If it doesn't, well, things can change. But I hope it does, because these types of stories, 
I find to be quite amusing, and they make me very happy. Moving on, we have talked about NullSec. We've talked about a lot of different things that have happened in NullSec. It's time now for our top story, which is obviously the Havoc expansion, which is launching on Tuesday of this week, two days from now. Tuesday, November the 14th, Havoc comes to New Eden. On November the 10th, CCP put up the Havoc expansion patch notes. These were a long set of patch notes. Obviously, they were long because this is a full-blown expansion. Long list of patch notes focused primarily on what this patch is really about, which is largely faction warfare expanding Pirate factions, turning that into a thing, providing low-sec folks and people who are needing to have content fed to them, giving them what they want, which is new content here in New Eden. There were a number of changes that are being made to the game, a lot of different things that that the patch notes go over, and we will go over those together here uh, to round out the rest of this first Meta Show podcast edition. So the patch notes, they start out talking about Aligning with pirates. This is the new the new pirate alignment thing. As we've seen in Faction Warfare, you can align with one of the four major empires, the Amar, the Kaldari, the Minimitar, the Galente. Now, you're going to be able to enlist with either the Angel Cartel or the Garistas Pirates. For those of you who live in Nullsec, you have spent countless hours killing the Angel Cartel, and the Garistas Pirates, which is probably going to mean that your standings with those groups are pretty bad. Don't fear. The game takes this into account in the patch notes. So, first of all, they announced players can enlist with the Angel Cartel or the Garistas Pirates in any station which is owned by them. Angel Cartel stations are found in the Curse and Fountain regions. Garistas Station can be found in the Venal region. A minimum standings requirement of negative two or better without standing modifications is required to join. My understanding is it's very easy to get that up. There are quest lines that you can do, epic arcs and those types of things that will get your standings up to within the negative two so that you can join one of the pirate factions if you so choose. The Angel Cartel are at war with the Amar Empire and the Minmatar Republic, while the Garistas Pirates are at war with the Kaldari State and the Galente Federation. Capsuleers enlisted in the pirate militias can freely engage Capsuleers enlisted with their rival empire militias and vice versa. So if you want to get involved in faction warfare and you want to shoot more than just one faction, boom, here you go. Join Angels or Garistas. Capsuleers enlisted with the Angel Cartel will be attacked by factional warfare empire police in Amar and Minmatar space if there is not an active insurgency present. And Capsuleers enlisted with the Garistas Pirates will be attacked by Faction Warfare Empire Police in Caldari and Galenti Empire Space if there is not an active insurgency present. Meaning, if you join with the Garistas and you try to go to Jita, they're going to shoot you. My gut tells me this will probably be changed or at least nerfed at some point in the future because it's going to cause, I think, a lot of people not to want to pick Garistas so that they can still access the main market hubs in New Eden. 
Next up, it says, Enlisting with the Pirates will give perks in Zarzak, including free entry, access to jump clones and offices, and the Deathless Shipcaster. Enlisting with the Pirates will also enable you to take part in the Insurgency gameplay, sow chaos and spread corruption, all while enriching yourself. All right. Now, the Deathless Headquarters Station in Zarzak is the next section of the patch notes, and it reads, Thanks in parts to the effort of Loyalist Capsuleers, the Deathless has managed to unlock more of Zarzak's potential. The Fulcrum has expanded services from being powered up through the activation of the Stellar Harvester built into the station, and the Deathless Shipcaster is now fully functional. Great! Can we close the gates into Zarzak now and just let everybody get out using the Shipcaster? How about that? That would be great. Back to the patch notes. The Fulcrum is now open to anyone who is not enlisted with an Empire Militia which have been declared as enemies of the Deathless and are unable to dock. So that basically says if you're, in, if you're a current faction warfare player, you can't dock in the Fulcrum. Okay. The Fulcrum features a new Deathless hangar environment. Players who are enlisted for the Angel Cartel will get access to a special Angel Cartel environment, while players who are enlisted for the Garistas will get access to a special Garista environment. Okay. And players that have an active Deathless Retribution timer are unable to dock regardless of their allegiance. The Fulcrum will allow unaligned players to use most of the facilities in the station, including repair, fitting, market, insurance, and industry facilities. Some additional facilities and powerful industry bonuses are available exclusively to players who are enlisted with the Angel Cartel or the Garistas Pirates. Now, this was a question that we had had. Who was going to be able to dock there? And was it going to be like Pochfin, where the Triglavians don't allow anybody to do anything unless your standings are high enough? This is obviously not the case. This is more of a pirate kind of thing. They're willing to take anybody's money. You want to dock. You want to do this type of stuff. That's fine. Great. That makes it more likely that people are going to use this fulcrum station in Zarzak to stage out of, which may or may not be a good thing. We'll see. And it goes into more detail about the different things that are involved in the fulcrum station. I'm not going to go through all of them, but it basically says there's material efficiency bonuses. The jump clone bay can only be used by players that are enlisted with Angel Cartel and Garistas, meaning you're probably not going to stay out of there unless you're in those groups. And offices present in the fulcrum can only be rented by Corpse or Alliances, which are enlisted with the Angel Cartel or the Garistas Pirates. Okay, pretty standard. Next up, the Deathless Shipcaster is now fully functional. Great. The shipcaster will alternate between the forward operating base system and active insurgencies with a 60-second charging phase and then a 60-second activation phase. Cartel-aligned players can jump to the Angel Cartel FOB. Garistas pirate players can jump to the Garistas FOB. On arriving, the FOB players will get tethering and can dock at the forward operating base. In addition, they have removed Zarzak from the autopilot blacklist. Zarzak has been added to the default avoidance list. Note, if a player has a custom avoidance list, Zarzak will not be added to it. And bombs and interdictor bubbles can now be used in Zarzak, which we have covered extensively on the show, which is a big problem for a lot of the uh, faction warfare people. But it's designed to stop Zarzak from being a superhighway, which was a request from those of us in Nullsec. We'll see how it plays out. I don't know if it's going to last, if the belief and philosophy and views of those who are hardcore 
faction warfare people are right, then the bubbles and the interdictor bo- interdictor bubbles and the bombs are going to completely decimate Zarzak. Nobody's going to live there. It's going to be completely failed, and they'll have to change it. I'm taking that with a very large grain of salt. But if it happens, it happens. Now, next up, pirate insurgencies. Now, this is something different. This is new. This is more PVE content. So we're going to talk about, we'll, we'll go through the, the, the patch notes talking about it. With aid from the Deathless, the completed Zarzak shipcaster, and the rejuvenated Fulcrum Station, the Angel Cartel and Garistas Pirates are now launching daring raids into Empire Factional Warfare Zones called, and this is completely not going to get, are now launching daring raids into Empire Factional Warfare Zones called Insurgencies. And it says now, with aid from the Deathless, the completed Zarzak shipcaster, and the rejuvenated Fulcrum Station, the Angel Cartel and Garistas Pirates are now launching daring raids into Empire Factional Warfare Zones called Insurgencies. That's not going to be a pain in the butt, given the fact that there are dozens of other things in the game already called Insurgencies. But hey, there you go. Insurgencies are brand new gameplay that take part in factional warfare systems. However, it is possible for them to spread to include additional solar systems, which are above NullSec and below 0.8 security. Okay. Insurgencies have multiple phases and are centered around a hub system, which has the pirate FOB in it. The FOB can spawn at any temperate planet in the faction warfare zone. Great, temperate planets only which will start an insurgency from that system and include four nearby solar systems to start the insurgency with. The insurgency starts in the forecasting phase, and then the the patch notes go through this entire process as to how these insurgencies are going to work. If you are interested in this type of PvE content, have at you, enjoy yourself. Not anything that I'm interested in, so I'm going to gloss over this to get to the next sections of the patch notes. Now, it goes through a long list of the of pirate activities that you can do inside these insurgencies. Fine. There's a corporate outpost raid, which is similar to existing faction warfare gameplay capture sites. Then there's a mining ambush. In this site, a friendly or Rorqual has been tackled by pirates. Great. You're there. They are creating faction warfare content that mirrors stuff that we do in NullSec all the time, except for it's NPCs instead of actual players. Go figure. Pirate laundering centers and counterinsurgency outposts. Great. And then, of course, they have the corruption and suppression systems that are similar to what you saw in the Faction Warfare update that was in the Viridian expansion earlier this year. Now, go through all this. Now, they, they are making changes. They are making changes. This is pretty significant, and I know that some people are going to be upset by it, but I'm not. Pirate insurgent LP stores. This is a big deal. Number one, first of all, the Garistas shipyards and Satoyo spawns will stop spawning as it used to, and the rewards will be rolled into the new LP store. Blood Raider shipyards will continue to spawn in the wild. Players enlisted with either the Angel Cartel or the Garistas Pirates will have access to a brand new LP store. The store can be accessed from the Pirate FOB in the Insurgency or in Zarzak. Players will earn LP for these stores through insurgency gameplay. And in addition, of course, now that they have the new LP store, a lot of the things that we were doing, like going and killing these shipyards and toyos, isn't necessary anymore because the pirate LP stores will be selling all of this stuff. Now, 
It says specifically the Pirate LP stores will include exclusive access to the following ship blueprints. The Mecuball, the Kisriel, the Azariel, that's the new Angel Titan, the Mamba, the Alligator, the Loggerhead, the Cayman, and the Komodo. So nobody now who wants a Komodo has to worry about getting one from one of these shipyards. They can now buy it from the LP store. Now, is it cheap? No, not even close. The Mechiball and the Mamba are 12,000 LP and 3.5 million ISK per copy. The Kisriel and the Alligator, 40,000 LP and 10 million ISK per blueprint copy. The Loggerhead that came in, 25 million LP and 25 billion ISK per blueprint copy. And then the Azariel and the Komodo, 150 million loyalty points and 150 billion ISK per blueprint copy. That is absolutely insane. That's crazy and nuts. And I think that is going to gate lock both of those ships pretty significantly because you're looking at a minimum 300 billion ISK outlay just to get the blueprints before you've even looked at putting in an ounce of effort. It's crazy. The Pirate LP stores, now moving on, the Pirate LP stores have heavily discounted ship blueprints for the Dramiel, Cinnabal, Macarial Worm, Jilla, and Rattlesnake. The Dramiel and the Worm, 4,000 LP and 2 million is per blueprint copy. The Cinnabal and the, and the Gila, 18,000 LP and 5 million is per copy. And then the Macarial and the Rattlesnake, 100,000 LP, 20 million is per copy. The Pirate LP stores also have unique new offers for various pilot modules, such as Domination Gyro Stabilizers and Dread Garista's Ballistic Control Systems. Great, I need to replace mine because I use those a lot. They also include data cores, ammo, and all the hard wirings you would expect. Disabled loyalty point and Evermark's donations, as discussed in the Stronger Organizations list. Now, this is the point. Now, this is the thing that I think is going to be frustrating. CCP has temporarily... And we know very well in this game that there is nothing so permanent as a temporary change has temporarily disabled the ability to sell and transfer LP and Evermarks. So everybody who wants to go out and get one of these new ships either has to wait for somebody else to farm it and then provide the BPC or they got to go farm this stuff themselves. Good luck. Have fun. Enjoy yourselves. I will not be doing that, <laughs> obviously. Hopefully somebody will get me a Azariel BPC. I'm not going to hold my breath. Now, the new pirate ships. We have five new pirate ships that have been added with the expansion. There are two destroyers, two combat battle cruisers, and the Angel Titan. The Mechuball is one of the destroyers. It looks... Kind of cool. I like the, I like the way that it looks. Uh, the the Mamba is another one of the destroyers. It looks kind of like a a goofy version of the Stork, like a weird ass version of the Stork. The Kisriel is the new Galante battle cruiser, and then the Alligator, which is it looks like my venerable Drake, but cooler. These all are all new ships. They look great. They've got some solid benefits, and I think the Alligator in particular is going to be well, well adopted once the LP rates go down a little bit and we're able to get more of these ships on the market. I can see 
the alligator being a null sex ship. I kind of dig it. And then, of course, he has Ariel, the Crab Titan, also known as the Flying Croissant. This is uh, an interesting ship. I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of designed to be a kind of a, a, a hyperspatial rigged kind of quick warping running around kind of Titan. We'll see how that plays out. I really want one because I think they look cool. It's the first new Titan design that isn't just a tweak of one of the existing faction Titans uh, that we've seen in years, which I think is great, and I'm looking forward to it. And then in addition, this was the good news. With the addition of the Azariel, they've also updated the Pirate Titan build costs to reduce the amount of materials needed for the Vanquisher, the Komodo, and the Moloch, which is good. Maybe we will see more of these out there and the cost for faction titans will go down to the point that you won't have folks like killer b saying global tell everyone to dock up your faction titans so i don't want to get them to get an easy win on the battle report because of fucking faction titans faction titans maybe we'll see more faction titans i don't know we'll see vanquisher komodo moloch all have had their material inputs dropped and then ccp says here that the vehement the Vendetta, the Cayman, the Loggerhead, the Kamash, and the Dagon will have their build costs looked at after Havoc. So at least they are acknowledging that all of the faction capitals need to be brought in line, which is good. For those who are excited, happy, mad, whatever, about some of the changes in this expansion, one thing that I think should be welcomed by everybody, or at least especially by those who were dumb enough to pick the Edencom faction in the last big narrative arc that was done when the Trigolavians jumped their way into New Eden in 2018. They're making major changes to Edencom faction stuff so that the poor Edencom guys who have been screwed over consistently are getting some love. First of all, skill books for the Edencom ships and the Vorton projectors are now available in Concord and DAD stations instead of being exclusively purchased from the character sheet. That's good. Why? Because they'll be cheaper. That's one of the big complaints was that these skill books, you can't trade them because you can only buy them off the character sheet, and they're always more expensive when you buy them off the character sheet. So we're getting them in Concord and DED stations. That's kind of a lore change, I think, but hey, you know what? If it makes these guys happy, wonderful. All variants of the Pyrolancia damage boosters will now boost Vorton projector damage. Yay, finally. That was one of the biggest complaints, that, that the Vorton projectors, none of the boosters would impact their damage. It was ridiculous, like Pyro, Pyro 4, Pyro 3. You, you want to increase the damage boost. That's the whole point of this booster, and it doesn't work for the Edencom main weapon. That's dumb. And then, of course, the Halcyon login boosters have been updated to benefit Vorton projectors in a similar way to how existing turrets and missiles are bonused by them. So, boom, they're hitting the login rewards as well, which I think have been a big benefit. Wormhole environment system-wide effects will now affect and benefit Vorton projectors. Great. So they're finally bringing the Vorton projectors in line with everything else. New mutaplasmids for the Vorton turning systems. Added faction and officer variants for the Vorton tuning system weapon upgrade modules. And you can gain these by aiding the empires against pirate insurgencies 
and turning in items at counterinsurgency operations in their war headquarters. So that adds a little bit of a, a faction warfare flavor to it. The Empire Shipcasters. Now, if you all recall, Faction Warfare added these shipcasters. The shipcaster that's in Zarzak is not a new idea. It was added in the last expansion, but nobody uses them because they've been camped by snuffed out most of the time. So the result has been nobody's been using the shipcasters. So they made a bunch of changes to the shipcasters, including they increased the shield resistances from 0 to 50% to double their effective hit points, make them easier to save from attacks with remote repair modules. Passive shield generation time has been doubled to keep their peak DPS regeneration the same. They added, they reduced the cost to upgrade a shipcaster construction beacon. And they have increased the radius of the beacon so the players will now appear in a much wider area of space around them when jumping through so you're not getting destroyed instantly because you're dropping, jumping all into the same spot. And they're added faction warfare militia NPCs to completed shipcaster landing pads as guards. That way... You're forcing the snuffed out guys to have to fight something while they sit there. It's not just, let's camp here and wait for something to come through and then kill it. They, moving on, they are adding Alliance and Corporation emblems to all of the new vessels, which is great. And then we're moving on to, outside of all the faction warfare related stuff, we're moving on to changes for everybody else. First of all, one, corporation prog- projects. Finally, finally, after launching this earlier this year, half completed, we're getting the rest of the projects, the corporation projects that we were promised. They're creating a new project manager role that allows somebody in the corp leadership to give this role to somebody, and then that person can create these projects that was previously only available to CEOs and directors. Now they can provide that to anybody, which is great because I know at least if with us in Karma Fleet, we will find someone who's interested in, in having a space job and that wants to put these together and let them go hog wild with it because I as hell, I sure as hell don't want to have to deal with it. In addition, you can now duplicate projects. The option's been added to allow projects managers to duplicate existing or finished projects. That way you can have a constant one that's going up every month and you don't have to recreate it by hand, which was a pain in the ass. Now you can just do it. This is great. And then finally, and I'm not going to take credit for this because I don't need to take credit for anything. I'm not on the CSM anymore, but I'm pleased that this finally happened. Project payouts. The project creator can set an amount of ISK that can be paid per contribution or per unit of progress. As long as the creator has access to a corp wallet, the total amount is taken from the corp wallet and moved to escrow, and then it's paid out from the escrow, which is great. Finally, there's a way to provide in-game rewards for completing these corporate projects. I think you're going to see a spike in the amount of people using them, which is great because that's what we want to see. We really want to see this. That makes me happy. Very happy with CCP. Thank you for doing this. In addition, they added a number of new project types. They added scanning wormhole signatures. They added remote repair. They added destroy capsuleer ship. They added manufacturing ones and a bunch of others that are now included in this, which is great. I think that is wonderful, and I'm glad that they are, are finally allowing different types of options inside here. Next up, changes to the Air NPE. 
Most of us are not going to care about this, but for those who are interested and who are new player adjacent or who are working with new players, they are making a number of changes to the Air tutorial. They're calling this now the Secrets of New Eden. It's been updated and will now onboard players to newer systems as well as a host of other improvements. They've introduced more depth. They've highlighted personal goal setting and rewards, which I think is great because the number one question we see on our eve lately is, hey, I'm new. I just finished the tutorial. What do I do next? Providing something new is great. I'm happy to see that. New Capsuleers will, use, will learn to use the Air Opportunities interface to discover and track content. Objective tracking has been upgraded. They've done improved guidance. New sites have appeared at the sun in every starter system. The adventure will take Capsuleers to one of these sites as part of their investigation into the materious attack on Air's cloning facility. New conversations. And lastly, before saying farewell at the end of the experience, Aura will introduce Capsuleers to the agency's help section so they can learn more about how to tackle whatever challenges they might face in the next steps of their journey. That's great. This is good. Moving on, and we're almost done. Photon UI improvements. They're finally allowing us to change, as we used to be able to do, custom color themes. Omega users are being granted the ability to customize individual colors in their UI color scheme, creating their own themes. We've never had this before. We've had different color themes in the past that you could choose from, and people complain because they reduced the number of these when they switched to uh, Photon UI. Now you can make your own. So you can go back and recreate whichever one you like that was taken away. This is wonderful. Color customization option allows Omega users. Ah, uh, there's the rub. You gotta be Omega. To edit and change the colors of the UI to their liking. In addition, the Empire themes that were previously locked by Omega status will now be available to all Alpha users. Well, there you go. You're getting something too. Typography, in-game typography now features two new sizes, tiny and huge. Normal font size default has been moved to be 14 pixels instead of 13. I'm sure that's a huge change for people. And everybody's going to get annoyed because now the default is a little bit bigger and everybody's going to be like, why is this different? I need to change it. I expect that's going to be a thing. And then existing capsulars will have their settings preserved by migrating them to the corresponding updated size. Okay. Settings menu. As part of Havoc, the settings menu has been granted more screen real estate. It is now full screen and will look and feel more modern. I get the feeling everybody's going to hate that. That is the end of the patch notes for Havoc. Now, we shall see, as we always do, how this expansion is going to be received. If it is anything like the past expansions, we're going to see a pretty significant bump in the number of people playing the game. Now, I will say this. I am very pleased and have been very pleased with the number of people playing EVE Online in the last year. The numbers are back up. We are routinely getting 30,000 plus peak concurrent users during weekends. We're getting 17, 18, 19,000 during weekdays. We were down to 10,000 and 11,000 during weekdays during the bad times last year this time. So I'm very pleased that we're getting these numbers up. And I saw on Reddit that we finally passed, which I think is a pretty good milestone, 50,000 active PVPers in the last week. That is crazy. That is good. It is what we want. 
And I'm hoping that with this Havoc expansion, we will see even more of this happening. And we will see even more players in the game, active, in space, doing fun things, and having a good time. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. That is the end of our first podcast edition of the Meta Show. We did about an hour. We talked about things going on in NullSec. We talked about the new Havoc expansion. I kind of enjoyed this. This was a fun little morning for me. I got to sit down in my office and not have to put a suit on and can just talk to you guys for an hour. Hopefully you enjoyed it too. We'll see how the numbers look. But I will tell you this. This is not the end. This is the beginning of some potential changes in format to the Meta Show. We're going to keep looking at ways to keep the show fresh and interesting. More podcast editions, different types of of episodes, episodes with just me, episodes with just Mark, episodes with both of us, episodes with guests, changing the format, changing the time, changing the date. We are looking at all of these different things as we move into the fifth season of the Brisk Rubal era of the Meta Show. Stay tuned, and you'll see a lot of these changes coming. We've got new graphical updates and everything coming soon, as we always do as we switch to our next season. This may or may not be the last episode of season four. If it is, we'll see you next week or soon for episode uh, the first episode of the fifth season. If not, we may have one or two more episodes of the fourth season while we are working on getting all of the new material drafted and completed. But in any event... Thank you all for listening. This has been the Meta Show for November the 12th, 2023. I'm your host, Brisk Ball, on the podcast edition of the Meta Show. And as always, you stay classy, New Eden.